yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 Euro in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. Start collecting your Irish rugby stickers today. And they were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh, Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out of Fitzgerald again, step Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Aldi. I'm Will Slattery, joined in studio, not delighted this week, by Luke Fitzgerald and Fergus McFadden. Lads, hello. Will? A slightly more sombre introduction than usual. Are you okay? You're, like you're eating something? You're eating I'm something? not. I'm having a Rennie. Sorry, my... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, for heartburn? Yeah, yeah. Um, tough day at the office. Yeah, Irish very tough day. Yeah, she's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feeling very sorry for myself after... Um, after the weekend, it was just so disappointing. Um, Did we focus uh, too much on South Africa? We probably focused too much on no, South Africa. Sorry, sorry, hang on. We have to make all our assumptions based on like all the, the previous data that we have, which suggested that that was going to be a fairly abnormal result, which, which is what it was. And it took a really bad performance by Ireland and a good performance by Japan for that to happen. Um, now, it's not unheard of. Like, they had, look, they have some, we, we, they've shown some kind of promise in some things and some aspects of the game uh, in their previous game. But to be honest, that, no one saw that coming. Like, that was a huge win for them. Um, and it's really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons there for this game against Scotland that they have because I'm not going to lie, the last team I want, I, I, I'd be relying on uh, to, to do me a favour is Scotland. I just feel like they always, like, every time I feel like they're going to Twickenham or they're going somewhere else, with a chance to kind of redeem themselves or, you know, show a bit of consistency, they always let you down. So I'm worried. I still, like, on the balance of probabilities, you'd say, you know, Scotland, given their ranking, given previous history, they should also, like ourselves, beat Japan. And off the back of that, if we get the two five-pointers, which you, you, you think we would, we're still in the same situation, topping the group, going to play South Africa. Well, Fergus, you think, obviously, say if that does come to pass, Ireland end up in the same situation we had, but does it make a difference now that we have lost this game in terms of confidence, in terms of momentum, and all the feel-good factor that came back with that Scotland victory? It's it's gone now, realistically. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but I do think that it won't be, this loss against Japan won't be gone, but if, if, we, if we thump Russia on Thursday, it'll be somewhat for, forgotten about. Um... It, it's a little bit worrying the way we performed on the day. I think there was a few contributing factors. 
Um, you know, the humidity wouldn't have helped. It thought, the, the Japanese look like they're getting stronger throughout the game, whereas, you know, you got some of the fittest Irish players that looked gassed after 30 minutes, which yeah. was kind of worrying. And um, I actually talked to a couple of people that have friends that travelled over um, to Japan and were at the game. And they said that they were sweating watching the game in the stadium. So you can only imagine what it was like, the humidity for the actual players. Like those Japanese, they're waking up in that every day. They train it every day. Um, it would make a huge difference. And I, it's, I'm not trying to excuse um, the loss, but yeah, I think that that does just, make an enormous ju- difference. And just on that, like I, I know like this is kind of just going to sound a bit stupid, but like I, I do feel like Ireland are probably like the, least, the team least equipped to deal with this sort of weather at the tournament. But I even thought, if you looked at the uh, the Australian Wales game, it was very similar as well. Like they looked out in their feet um, at the end. Now, they, they survived a little bit better, but the Aussies kind of grew into the game. Um, and it was interesting that it was kind of at a similar point that they looked like they were getting stronger. Kind of around the fifty five sixty, they kind of took hold of the game, and it looked like they were fit. Like that that kind of fitness thing, bar kind of New Zealand, I think doesn't really exist between the top tier nations anymore. I think everyone's kind of just as fit as, as they are, at the, particularly at this stage. You know, the lads have had five games or, you know, whatever it is. Um, there's no real difference in terms of fitness, really. Very, very marginal. Whereas it looked like, I'm going to say, a marked difference. And the Aussies would be more used again to those kind of conditions. So, um, yeah, like it's it's something that they're going to have to factor in. It's like whether you bring in, you know, what kind of makeup your bench is. Like, do you have more forwards on? Do you have, and sorry, maybe that's not even a great observation because it did look like some of the backs were even struggling as well. So, it's a tricky one to get your head around. I don't know what you do with your bench makeup, like um, uh, to to try and combat it. Do you bring people on earlier? Do you bring them on? Can I, do you kind of get lads to hang on for a little bit longer? It, it's very well, tricky. They looked gassed in the second they quarter. Did. You know, they they did. Not, you're not going to make three subs before half time. Mm. No, like, like, and that's the challenge. Is that you, do you try? How long do you try and get out of the lads after after half time? Or just do you bring on a raft of them at forty minutes? But then you you know the risks involved in that. Like oh, this mm. weekend, like is Joey Carby going to end up playing nine or like what's like it's it puts a lot of pressure on your squad. Um, I think they'll get better off the back of that. I, I I honestly believe that. I know it's a challenge, but I think once you've played in it, you can make a few adjustments. Like I saw a lot of guys wearing shoulder pads and things like that. I was like I, I like I, like James Ryan's a guy who I think looks super fit, like unbelievable athlete. And I was even looking at his face. He looked like I thought he hung in there well, but he looked like war you know like war torn a little bit you know kind of like just just like like he was kind of struggling a little bit with the heat and I was thinking I see him wearing shoulder pads a few things you can change he put the straps on instead rather than rather than that people with headgear on small things I know it's they seem like small things but in a game they could make a slight difference and plus you'll be used to it another week on I believe they'll grow into that and they get a bit more used to it from having trained in it sounds like the Japanese just prepared for that fixture an awful lot better than Ireland Um, you know I'm not trying to say it was an oversight by the coaching staff or anything like that, but uh, Jamie Joseph was the Japanese coach who, by the way, previously uh, coached the, the Highlanders to their first Super 15 win in 15 years in, I think it was 2014. Like he's Alongside ex- Tony Brown, who's with them, his he's, yeah, yeah, he's coach. an extremely good coach. So yeah. he's, he said before the game, he said, we've been targeting this game for two years. So Ireland were saying before the Scottish game, they were targeting that game for, what is it, 18 months or something like that. And they played really well in the game and you could see the benefit that there was there. But then Japan came up and I I suppose they they just robbed us blind, really. You know, we just didn't see it coming. And um, the only thing is, I mean, we're not still in control. I think one of the players came out to say we're still in control of the group, but we're not actually, because if Japan get 
10 points they oh. they still win it well, just getting uh, out we're calling getting out of the group yeah we can yeah. get out of the group that's fine and it comes back to your point of us talking a few weeks ago about Ireland are going to play either South Africa or New Zealand that is a fact really so um, which one of those you want that's still up for debate but um, it's more a confidence thing now you just want to you want to hopefully beat Russia well and then you know we're, if, if we're looking to win a quarter final we want to hopefully beat Samoa well as well we saw what oh. Scotland did to them in the rain um, I think they beat them 34 points to nil so um, you'd like to think we'll, we'll, we'll comfortably get 10 points out of the next two games but in saying that you know Luke, Luke Thompson the a Japanese second row I don't know if anyone's watched the uh, after match coverage but he was interviewed and he's a 38 year old that came out he's actually um, it's a bit of a fairy tale story for a player who came out of retirement to go play for Japan um, in the World Cup and then they end up beating the number one ranked team in the world but he said that all the Irish media, all they were talking about after the Ireland-Scotland game was Ireland taking on South Africa in... in the I know, I read Yeah, we're probably also... You know, we, we are a part of that. We're you know pumping the boys up, but how could we not have? Mm, you know, yeah. n- no one saw it coming, and you just got to take your ha- hat off to the Japanese. I mean, it's never nice to see your country getting beaten, but to see some of the fans, the Japanese fans, what it meant to them in the stadium, some like the majority of them were either praying or crying. So it was um, proper scenes. And in terms of, you know, the confidence levels of the team now, like you can't with a straight face say that the team can beat South Africa or New Zealand if they can't beat Japan, or can you? I think you can. I, look, I, I believe it's a, it's a bit of a standalone. I think they got caught in a number of fronts. Um, you know, I heard a lot of talk about the referee, but and and sorry, coming from Joe Schmidt, like the, most yeah. Of them but I think look, he made a, a very good point about some of the offsides. But to be honest with you, I went, I looked at the game twice because I had to see like what was going. Like, like they had more of the game. Like off the back of that, you usually get more of the decisions. Now there was one or two bad ones. The offside ones, I was less concerned about that because I thought there was a few of them that were pretty much on the edge. And particularly after the phase he gave the penalty, like we gave another one away. Like they were very lucky not to get a card, I thought, off the back of that because there was a clear offside. I think Conor Murray was clearly offside um, on the, the second phase after. There's a big long phase where they kind of two or three in a row. And I was like, geez, like that's very unlike Ireland. I know we said where rugby commenced at three or four, three out of the four of them, but I think over the course of the game, like if you have more of the ball, if you're in better positions, if you're attacking, if you show more intent, I do think that you'll get more decisions going your way. It's just the fact. It's just, it's just how the game works. It's it works on momentum some of the time. You know, a large part of the time, I think. Um, some of them the were disappointing. What which team is going forward? Yeah, like you know, if they generally give you the benefit of the doubt. And Japan tried to play rooms. more rugby for it. Like that's what I th- I thought they looked like. Their handling was good. Uh, you know, they looked way more threatening with the ball in hand. Like there was only a few times where I was like, mm, Ireland looked pretty threatening. Like the, I thought the chip from Carty was terrible. He got really lucky. He just threw up a hand. Like I heard Evan said, oh, it was a genius it was a GAA backer and like it was a complete stinker <laughs> of a chip there was two Japanese like a good chip is one that hits the ground or clearly gets into one of your, your players hand there was two Japanese guys under it and he tapped it back it was very very lucky to get that one back for Rob Carney's try so um, I, I think they looked way more threatening if they, I'm being they honest. worked a lot harder for their tries mm. I think you know and they they probably they did play the better rugby as Lukey mm. said they they varied their game up really well and um, that, that that expansive wide to wide game plan that um, Brown and Joseph uh, brought into the game worked. It, it worked against the Irish defensive system, which was the worrying thing, mm. because you know Ireland come up hard within the 15s, and it can work if you shut the ball carriers down. But if you don't get to them and you can get the ball outside of there, it can leave you know the guys on the edges from um, 
you know the 15 to the sideline in, in a bit of trouble and you could see our wingers were struggling with that they, they were just eating up the yards getting over the gain line easily and um that's where a lot of the, the Japanese scores came from. I thought that's a really good point. Because like, I think if you look at, there was a stark contrast between the match against Scotland where our wingers looked really, really dominant out there. Do you know, they, you know, remember it's like Stockdale had a few lovely hits. I thought uh, Conway looked very solid out there and Gary Ringrose particularly as well. Mm. Guys in the outside channels, if, if, there, if there's not much pressure coming on from the inside, your job is so, so difficult. It's also you know? a wet day, so it's... It that was a wet day against yeah. Scotland, whereas yeah, yeah. it looked like it was pretty dry against the Japs, so they could throw it, mm. throw it around a lot better mm. and a lot get it through the hands easier. But, but it was still difficult conditions, and I, I do think that if you look at them, their forwards particularly, like they gave each other a little bit of space. There was lots of interplay, like they were good to watch, and I think Ireland have the potential to do that. It's been a disappointment, and I think it's a fairly hot topic that we've talked about. We've, it's been a fairly consistent topic that's been talked about this team that at times they can be very very direct, and if they don't get on top of you in the inside channels they find it really hard to play around teams or to be creative outside of it now I'm sure lots of people will tell me that uh, you know that's pretty much the same for every team but I feel like lots of other teams they take a bit a few more chances and the forwards give themselves a bit more space to create problems for the defence in the tight um, and I think lots of other teams play a little bit deeper off the line I think it's really hard for us with the formations that we have to get the ball to the outside channels because I feel like our second and third um, uh, second and third attackers outside of our 10 they're very and our 10 are usually very tight now Johnny's very good because he stays very straight over his passes and it seems like a small technical point but Fergie will know having played outside him like he creates a lot more space and time for people because of how quick he delivers but also how long he stays over his pass you know you see him getting hit late all the time yeah. you, like if you look at Carberry and you look at um, Carty there's a big difference in how they pass the ball and it makes it way easier to defend against us I think so a combination of all those things the flatness the not taking a chance with the forwards they get no momentum and it's very hard to play outside teams if you're not getting any momentum the because game, they're quite flat. I think the game also points out the just how important the set piece is under Joe Schmidt's game plan. Yeah. Like the, the line-out didn't function very well at times and but a few pivotal ones we lost. Mm. Uh, scrum we got turned over a few mm. times with a few scrum penalties against us. Like in our biggest wins um, and our best performances under Joe Schmidt, we win all our set piece ball. Yeah. And on top of that, we probably gave away a few more penalties than we normally do which um, kept them in the game. Like, but at half time it was, half time it was twelve nine, and like I heard a couple of the pundits saying, you know, Ireland created a few good tries. I don't know if we created those tries. We actually, they were both from kicks from from Cardi. One that, as Lukey pointed out, was slap back. I thought it was dodgy. Yeah. And the other, the other one was a great take from from Gary mm. Ringer. And penalty advantage, so it was a shot to nothing as well. Yeah, yeah. but uh, and we had a, we had a couple of line breaks granted in the first half. But aside from that, I didn't know if we really looked like scoring a try with the ball in hand and then in the second half you got to remember that we didn't actually score a point in the second half so you know they they kept us scoreless which I don't know how many teams have done that to us it was just a bit worrying to think that they could they could I know the humidity as we say but um, for them to have done that was very impressive by them as well you got to take your hat off with us um, you know with our runners off 9 and off 10 within their 22 they just they kept smashing us on the gain line and uh, they got a couple of big decisions as we said a couple of scrum or, sorry a couple of penalties holding on and stuff on the ground there do you know what i have a concern about as well will is 
the not taking the penalties, the kickable penalties is a real concern for me. I don't understand when we've got really good kickers like Jack Hardy's kicking has improved, you know, immeasurably over the last couple of years. He's definitely above eighty percent. I would say for for his kicking, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, like there was one scrum penalty that we got uh, on the 15. Uh, now it was 40, 40 yards out, but an international kicker, you should be having a pop from there. There was one in the first half where, you know, he took a quick, I think it was a quick uh, cross fielder yeah. as well. Like, I just feel like those kind of things are, I, I do not get this thing about going to the corner. I know <coughs> it worked well against Scotland, right? And they might've had an idea about the mall and the strength of the mall they've had, but I just really, really don't like it. I really feel like people say, oh, well, it's like seven points versus three. It's like, well, realistically, if you're going to the corner, more often than not, it's for a pushover try is what you get. So, like, that's still, usually you score those tries within the 15. So straight away, your your kicking percentages of your of two of two points out of your seven, which is like 28% of, the, of that whole thing, is basically on a probably 50 to 70% shot from inside the 15. So, like, I just don't understand. I wonder but how they the really... Off the back of the previous week, you can't blame them for wanting to I be know, aggressive and I, exploit them all. The crossfield is, kick definitely no, didn't okay. sit well. That, me, well, that right? one was one but that, the one yeah. on the 40 was one you have to take. You have to try and, like, just nose in front, nose in front. I always I always think that New Zealand take all their kicks. I always think, well, I know Bowden Paris been dodgy, but South Africa will take their kicks there. England will definitely take their kicks there with Farrell. I want, I'd love to see us just build pressure on the scoreboard. I feel like it it actually creates opportunities for you by building scoreboard pressure. And I think it's something maybe that we haven't accounted for. And I feel like we've just thought about... like Because I, I think there's a huge chance of you not getting a try when you do these things. And the lift it gives the other team if there's a penalty or something. Also, Joe Schmidt would always tell you, it's one of the hardest places to score if you don't score from the set piece like on the line because they don't have to put anyone back for kicks. Yeah. You know, it actually is very hard to break teams down there. Now, you're, I know I hear lots of people saying it's still a good place to have the ball if you're down there. You know, you just maybe get a penalty down there. Um, but I just don't... It's something that I, that's kind of concerned me over the last kind of year with the teams that they've gone for this strategy into the corner. I just love to know if they've actually worked out the percentages of, of this and on balance, is it actually the, the correct decision to be making? The one so, thing I feel is that on penalty advantage, I think that we should try keep the ball in hand for a little bit longer before we try those crossfield kicks. Definitely agree with you. And don't get me wrong, the one to Gary Ringrose, great kick, great chase, and he, uh, Cardi did that immediately once, once we got the advantage, but <clears throat> you know, refs are giving really long advantages and they do give long, long advantages. You can play sometimes for, you know, six phases so surely try get through three or f- three or four phases within that 22 oh. try something different and if that doesn't work then go to the kick and he'll bring it back mm. but I feel like we're just going going to the kick straight away and granted we did get a we did get two tries from them but as Luke said like the, the Rob Carney try was a bit of a speculative one like it was a little bit lucky with the slap back um, so I think that we should probably t- just just go after teams a little bit more when we do get that advantage in, within the opposition. There's a great too. chance of getting a yellow card if you get a second, if you double up on a penalty as well in, in a good area. Like that was always something that that like that when Joe Schmidt was brought, it was one of the things he brought into Leinster is that no matter what, like he used to hate seeing people going for drop goals or anything like that, or, or even like on the first or second phase going for the big crossfield kick. He hated that. So I was kind of surprised to see them. Now I thought the other one by Jack Carty was. 
it was actually it was a, there was a high percentage chance that Gary was one on one. I actually thought that was a really good option because um, you oh, could that see was, this that was, really that was on, a good option and well mm, executed. Right? I don't know but, how on the first one was. No, I, I didn't think so either. Or sorry, uh, the second one. Rose it was, was the, the, yeah, the yeah, second, the second one. I, I I agree with you. I think it's something that if you can build pressure and, and get another penalty, oftentimes you get a yellow card for that or a serious warning. It builds more pressure again. I think on the referee if there's another penalty down there to to act. You know, so um, that is something maybe that they could bring in uh, but they could have been tired like it looked like there was lots of decisions out there that, that looked like they were kind of tired ones as well so maybe we're underestimating the impact of that I don't know yeah I, th- I think if the Japanese play like that or close to that they'll top the group I really do I think that like I I think they would be knackered after Samoa I think I think they've got a tougher run like it'll be, it'll be tricky yeah, well out, one one well for them they have like a week break and then another like, <coughs> eight day break yeah. Yeah, mate, yeah, but the sta- those be, lads look like they're they be, they be, smashing lads. They'd be wrecked, but yeah. again, it comes back to the point of the humidity. They just dealt with it so much better. Yeah, so they're yeah, going to deal with point. it better than Samoa and Scotland. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. If if someone, if we were having our coffee bet right now, do you want to have another one with this? <laughs> we're back to, <laughs> we're back to evens, by the way. Back to evens, yeah. yeah. I back yeah, the Welsh. Yeah. So I think that, I think that the Japanese will, will top the group. I think Ireland will definitely qualify but I think that I think that they could top the group yeah look I, I, I think is, is, it, is it even it's an even uh, even better I think that's Scottish Japan match is it even they're underdogs oh are I they checked. still they're yeah. still underdogs yeah, yeah I think that's probably fair uh, yeah I'll go with that I, I think Scotland will beat them but Jesus I, I say that is I say it probably no come down to points difference because they'll, they'll need they'll need four tries against Scotland won't they yeah like if Scotland no if Scotland beat Japan Ireland will top the group with two wins with two bonus points no mm. matter what Scotland can't catch Ireland if Ireland get two bonus point wins. Yeah, no, I realise yeah. that. But what if what if Japan get four? Like they get a they a, got two bonus points. No, they get one one bonus point and one win. Do our and, and Ireland get two bonus? Ireland points? Will, Ireland will finish ahead of them. If Japan oh, got two they? losing bonus points, if, if they got a four try bonus point and a losing bonus point against Scotland, they would top the group because it's head to head if there's two teams tied. Oh, it's head to head. Is this okay? All right. That's okay, so it's not to do a points difference unless it's three teams tied. Right, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. So okay. so Let's stop, guys. We're down Ireland, the rabbit hole. Scotland and Ireland <laughs> all finish on points. It goes to points difference. But if it's just two teams, it's head to head. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying, so yeah. if, if Japan get five points against, against Samoa, Samoa, which yeah. I think they will after looking at that game, yeah, they'd need, Scotland against Samoa. They'd need two bonus points against Scotland to, to top the group. Because we'd be on 16 and they'd only be on 15 if they only got one losing. But I'm saying even if they just beat Scotland. Oh, if they beat, oh yeah, then they top the group. If they beat Scotland, they yeah. top the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's yeah, kind yeah, of my point. Yeah. I think I think they can still I think they could beat Scotland, but I don't think it'll be by four tries. Hmm. You know, I don't think that, but I Jeez, think that's some exhausted after all. Yeah, that. so am yeah. I. <laughs> yeah. No, but look, in fairness, it, it's, it's very interesting. Like, this group all of a sudden has gotten very, very like I mean, you would have thought after the first game against Russia that Japan were probably like they could have been competitive you'd think they'd have the home advantage uh, they'd definitely be up for the fight they'd be tricky uh, you know they played some you know some decent rugby some fairly expansive stuff in a few positions but all of a sudden like it's really thrown up a really interesting group whereas lots mm. of the other ones look like bar the, bar the uh, English French and uh, is a pool C uh, that one looks like it's you know mostly interesting rugby uh, you know it's still I think to be played in terms of permutations there Um but it's really exciting now to see what happens. Guys, look, I, I think Ireland will still get through, I think, regardless, but you just really want to avoid but New Zealand. Is there any danger that, you know, suffering a damaging World Cup defeat like this, kind of the memories of the previous World Cups where things haven't gone well, resurfaced, and I know only some of the players were involved in the other campaigns, but overall Ireland's history at World Cups has been pretty traumatic. Like, is there any worry that that kind of 
you know, preys on their mind, that kind of becomes an issue that they're thinking, geez, here it goes again. We've done all this great preparation and the wheels are kind of coming off here. I don't think so. I don't think they'll be thinking of previous World Cups. It's just the damage. The only thing is just the damage that that Japanese loss could have on them, potentially, confidence-wise. But as we said, the Russian game has come at a good time for us directly after it. Um, You know, they're changing up a few combinations to be a few fresher bodies. You know, we will definitely get five points out of that, so hopefully it'll be a comprehensive victory and um, we keep them scoreless as well. That would be nice because it was... You know, probably a little bit disappointing on a defensive uh, front from Ireland against Japan because they they just looked like um, they were just on top of us all day long and getting over the gain line a little bit more creative. Um, and it probably just comes back again to to that point of of the dealing with the humidity. I think we looked we did look fatigued, and it could be down to that six day turnaround that Joe Schmidt was was talking about as well. I think they looked, the worrying part was, I thought like there's a few things that you can fix fairly quickly, I think, with it. So I think the the, the, the passivity in defence, like they were just, they, they just did not get off the line. And you don't even have to, if you get off the line, you don't have to win even win all the collisions because most of the collisions are happening behind the gain line anyway. Um, it, you might win it on the next one, but they just weren't getting off the line. They weren't winning those couple of yards um, in the initial part of, of, like, there's a few, you know, if, if they're set, you're ready, you get one to two, one, two off before someone's looking and ca- catching the ball. You can have two, you can have stolen two yards in them and you can have, you know, just a, a, what did I call it? Like kind of a, a, not a negative tackle, but you can have a passive tackle or whatever. You just take them down, but you're still getting them behind the gain line. So that's an area you can fix fairly quickly. I thought some of the kicking strategy was was kind of interesting. They went away from, like I thought it fairly aimless stuff. They went away from their strength, which is usually competing. I thought Japan were fairly illegal in some of that as well in terms of the chase back, but that's an area you can fix quickly with a few good kicks and a few good chases. I think they'll have a big bump from a bump up in terms of quality um, from people that will come into the team. I think Robbie Henshaw uh, hopefully could be back. Johnny Sexton is a difference maker for the team. I think in a terms of attack, um, I think just general presence in the back line. I spoke about it before the competition started. There's a, a few very experienced and really, really top quality players there. But in terms of leaders... I think Johnny Sexton adds a massive, a massive amount of value in that respect because there's not many talkers there. Like most of your experienced guys, like Rob Carney, uh, you know, Keith Earls, Connor Murray, um, you know, Gary Ringrose is fairly experienced at this stage, Bundy Key, all very experienced and quality operators, right? Even Robbie Henshaw. But they're not really talkers. And whilst most people say, oh, I want to lead by actions, you still need someone to give instructions when the pressure's on to you know to take control to give really good information to guys inside now to drive the team forward. I think he makes a massive difference there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on any of that stuff, Rick. Like I think a lot of it's fairly fairly fixable. Hmm. The, the worry is maybe the fitness part, but um, I mean even I thought some of the bench guys were. I thought Dave Kilcoyne was unbelievable when he came on. I thought he had a cracker of a game. I thought Luke McGrath while well, he was on the wing, like you know, a lot, lots of these guys can add value and are playing some decent rugby as well. So I wouldn't be panicking as of yet. I, I think you're right. I think they'll be thinking move on. But like, what, what's your sense of this? Do you think they can fix this quickly? Yeah, it is, I think it is fixable. Um, you know, I think that everyone knows in their heart of hearts that on our day we we could beat South Africa or or New Zealand in that quarter for sure if we performed up to our level that we know we can get to. It's just, I suppose, the inconsistency of the performance from the Scottish week to the Japanese week would be probably the, the most concerning thing for for the camp and for the public. Um, just trying to get that consistency of performance back in the next two games will be key because 
having a blip in a quarter or a semi won't be good enough to try to go win this competition. You're going to have to consistently perform at 90% or above to win those matches. So, listen, I think that, you know, looking back on it, it was tough. It was a tough one for, obviously, I'm sure the boys to take much more than us and for the public. But um, I think for the competition, it was great. Mm. You know, having the the Japanese potentially in their first um, quarterfinal in, in the World Cup could be um, pretty amazing for the competition altogether. Um, not that their fans weren't going to be amazing regardless, but you saw them behind them, you know, behind their team uh, during that entire 80 minutes. And it, it was pretty incredible, uh, you know, seeing it. So um, yeah, I'd like to see them also get out of the group. Mm. And you mentioned Robbie Henshaw there. You know, he still hasn't been able to play thus far. Was it a mistake to, to keep him around? Obviously, he's a great player, but you know, makes Gary Ringo's now having to play in his third match in a row, having played in all the four warm games as well. It just you know spreads the squad very very thin. Should Joe Schmidt have just made it a judgment call and said we need to cut, you know bring out Will Addison or bring out someone else, you know, to, just to, to make up the numbers because Robbie still hasn't played. We we don't know if he actually will play next week. We're hopeful, but. Uh, I think he ha- he'll have a big enough impact that he was he'll be worth bringing along. I think he's a guy that doesn't. He's a guy that's suffered like a you know quite a few injuries in his career, and I actually think he kind of he comes back very well at this stage. He looks like an experienced campaigner. He always seems to me like a very fit guy as well. He's very committed. The difference he makes to the defence, particularly, I think. Um, and Ferg will have a good view on this one as well, I think. But I feel like whenever I play with Robbie, if you're playing that defence where you're coming really hard off the line, Robbie just keeps coming. Like, at times I'd be like, Jesus, it's like he has... He has no, he's no. There's no level. There's no uncertainty in his mind about what's happening. Like, he, like, and he gets his angles really, really good. He's hard to get around, but he makes your job so much easier on the outside. Particularly him. Um, I always love playing on the outside with him because I just knew that everyone, everyone's decisions on the outside that I was marking, they were under way more pressure because Robbie was coming up hard. I, I feel like he's a difference maker. Will is what I'm getting at in a long winded way. I think. And I'd be I'd be hanging on to him. The difference he'd make versus even Will with Addison. the pressure it puts on the squad. Yeah, I would. Like I think Will Addison might have been like maybe you could say that Farrell might have been a guy you might have left out for Addison. But I think Farrell's been really effective since he's been there. Um, and maybe the only thing I would say in that one in terms of Addison, which was kind of surprising to me at the time that he was left out, is that you get a bit of versatility w- with Addison, which it looks like they're probably lacking a little bit now. Um, so. Yeah, look, it looks like he could have been a nice piece of the puzzle, but I, I still think Farrell's had a big impact, and I think I think Robbie can have a big, big impact. I think Gary also very fit guy. I'd be surprised if he'd be uh, like he, he's perfectly built for these conditions. We saw how good he was. He's like a you know he's like a terrier. He's not a pick of fat in the fella as well, um, and he's playing good rugby. I just keep playing him. I think he's he's a young lad, well able. Well, well this, able. This would be interesting if Robbie doesn't regain fitness for next weekend. Like it'd be mm-hmm. very, he would, probably wouldn't be able to play in a quarterfinal then. So he would have carried someone throughout the whole tournament. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably disagree with you there. I think he is the he's one of maybe three players in Ireland that you could play in that sort of a match after not playing yeah, for a I month. Agree. Uh, Johnny's the same. Um, he's world class, and as as Luke said, he's extremely fit and he he's an incredible professional. He keeps himself in in really good condition even when. He might not be able to run. He finds different ways to do cardio and do the sessions. Um, so I, I probably I, I can see the sense in Joe Schmidt still bringing him. I think when you had Gary and Bundy there, who were probably going to cover and and as Luke said, um, Farrell has done a, a very good job with the opportunities he's had. But I think for a big day against uh, uh, South Africa or New Zealand, it's it's worth bringing him um, for that because uh, 
he's huge. He's aside from Johnny, he's probably the most important player in that backline. Mm. And who's the third player that could be pitched in? Only gave us two. Uh, <laughs> so the third, sorry, the third player, I probably would have been. He's he's finished playing for Ardenay. Would have been Sean O'Brien in his prime. Yeah. He was the type of guy that could have been out for months, and you put him back against any team, and he could still get man of the match. He was just one of those players, and um, I just think when you have that sort of a weapon like Robbie, you've you've got to get him on the plane. Yeah. Mm. Another interesting selection thing for the Russia game is Joey Carberry, obviously covering uh, scrum half on the bench, and you know it's kind of like you know Madigan ta- again. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was interesting when Ian was on a few weeks ago, and he talked about that he actually did have to end up putting in a good few hours in training, con- you know, about what happens if you play number nine, and it, and it just kind of. Pl- it just occupied space in his brain that didn't really need to be there. You know, it, he ended up having a big role to play at that World Cup. Probably would have been better served if he didn't have to concentrate on playing scrum half in case of an emergency. Joey Carberry could be in a similar situation. Like, I know you have to make decisions about how many nines or tens you want to bring and maybe you have to make a sacrifice, but it just seems to be wasted energy on one of your good players, you know, putting him into this situation where he has to think about playing number nine when he's not a scrum half at all. Yeah, look, it's it. It's a big concern with with it was a big concern at the time um, that Joe made the selection was that he was only bringing two two specialist nines, and obviously now he's decided that he's not going to put Connor on the bench, you know. So like that's um, you know th- that's a big call, you know, um, a very big call. Um, but um, yeah, yeah but if you bring an if you bring an extra nine, then it eats into our other argument of yeah. why don't you bring an Addison or or a Farrell? Yeah. Like Farrell got yeah. brought. As, so, so Farrell probably wouldn't have got brought if he brought that extra. Yeah. And then what, what sort of position would we be in in the centre? You're probably so, talking about either Larmer or Conway yeah. missing out to Addison. You know, that's, that, yeah. that was that conversation no, and Larmer, and Larmer could, can, can cover the centre, we know that. But mm. again, he's special, you want to bring specialist guys in, in certain positions. And it's, it's a decision, it's a predicament that a lot of coaches would have come across going over there, mm. you know. Um, and Joe decided to do it this way just like he did at the last World Cup. And... Hopefully we, hopefully we don't have to worry about it if if the likes of Connor goes down or or, or yeah. Luke. Yeah, sorry, you in there. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like it is, it's it's a concern like, but um, hopefully it doesn't come to pass. Like again, it comes back to whether thirty one's enough for you know potentially a, a seven game tournament like over whatever it is eight weeks. It probably isn't enough uh, of of a squad, you know. And just one other aspect that we touched on briefly earlier, but uh, like. Were you surprised that Joe Schmidt brought up the referee so much and beforehand and obviously his comments after the match as well? It, it doesn't seem to be something he normally does. I think he'd have been particularly disappointed. There was one one that was, there were, sorry, two that really stand out to me, um, bar the scrum ones, which I just don't know enough about to really make an, um, any kind of comment about really. But there was a high ball one where, like where I think it was, uh, I'm not sure, who, someone was, one of our guy anyway went up and was taken out in the air. He gave a knock on. It was clearly taken out in the air. Um, which is potential yellow card. Uh, card I think it was. I don't, yeah, it was Cardi exactly. Cardi, and that, I think. Do you think he was? I told you if you if you look at it again, I just thought he was. He was taking it. He, he he wasn't completely clipped in the air. Like he, sorry, he was completely clipped in the air, but he didn't take a bad tumble or anything. But he was definitely clipped enough where you could say there was interference in the air. He didn't come down very badly. He came down like on his front and his knees, so that it didn't look bad. But he was definitely clipped in the air, which you can't do. Your man wasn't up in the air competing. And then I thought, like he was completely in the landing space. And the other one was, do you remember the knock on towards the end? There was a guy, a Japanese player, came in completely from the side, completely off his feet as well. Interrupted Connor. The ref says, "Get out!" You know, get out of there. But he completely interrupted the play. Connor, I actually thought, assumed that um, he had got a penalty. He went. He went to, to the. It was on the short side, kind of a short side, or oh, maybe 20, 30 meters away from the Japanese line. He went right and tried to play a ball back inside to the winger. Got knocked on. 
and I think like the, he, like he gave uh, obviously a knock on to Japan, but it was it was absolutely it was a stone cold penalty. Like I thought they were there was a few ones like that. The offside ones again. I tie into my original point about you probably get you a few some, more of those some, ones. You win yeah. some, you lose some in games yeah. like that. Really, yeah. Mm. I think do you know what you can you can point fingers at the officials if you want to, but at the end of the day. The reality is Japan were better on the day than us. They played better rugby on than us on the day. Uh, they were they were worth their seven point win. And you could argue that they they probably should have won by more. They missed that kick. Well, that's why at the end they could even have the grubber at the start that's of the game. I was surprised Joe Schmidt brought it up afterwards because yeah. he he would have seen the match. He would have known that. You know, it would have been a frustration, definitely, though. If you're sitting up there, it's one part of the game, you just kind of, you can't really control how they're going to see it. And it's fine margins yeah. in the, listen, it's fine margins in these massive yeah. matches. And it is, for sure. And when one or two go against you, I'm sure for a head coach, it can be, you can be, feel like pulling your hair out. But at the end of the day, Japan played better than Ireland. They were worth, mm. they were worth that win, definitely. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's a great point, pointing fingers at the referee's decision-making yeah. on, on the day. And what did you make of the other big game of the weekend, Australia versus Wales? It was, you know, I guess similar to Ireland, Wales looked a bit out in their feet in the second half. They just about held on, you know, really big win for them, but it was an absolutely cracking game overall. Yeah, it was great to win the coffee back off Lucas, <laughs> which was always nice. Good yeah, luck getting it. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think that Wales were impressive. They just show again at World Cups they've, and Cup Rugby, very hard to beat. First team that's... Um, really used the drop goal um, mm. it, to their favour. They took uh, three opportunities and got two of them. Um, I think, was it bigger or Patchell missed one? Um, but, you know, slotting those two, particularly at the start of the game there, you think, oh, you hold on to the ball, get into the 22. He just, it back into the pocket and dropped it over before a minute was even gone. Psychologically, that's huge on a team. It's like, geez, we haven't even started the game. We're down by three yeah, points. Yeah. I thought it was really, really efficient play by Wales. I think they, they made a bit of a... Or sorry, uh, the Australians took it into contact. They were sloppy uh, with kind of chest up at the rook and it was a great barge, but I think Ken Owens and someone else got the ball back and then, then got three. I think Wales just looked like a more efficient team. The Aussies, you can tell that they, they've, got, they've got brilliance throughout their team. They've got some of the best players in the world. Um, you know, Karevi took a lot of stopping at times. Um, talking about officiating, actually, I thought a couple of decisions of that were, were pretty unusual. I thought the one for the penalty against, uh, no, Michael Check is not the calmest individual. <laughs> as you and me know. As you, well, as you and me know, Lukey, but I can, I can yeah. feel from here yeah, where, where yeah. Karevi, uh, a ball is passed to Karevi in the second half of a line-out. And, uh, sorry, it was still in the first half. And he brings the ball into contact. Both his hands are on his chest. And Patchell hits him high. And the top is and so as as Karevi hits him, he pushes against his face with with his forearm, and the referee said that he was leading with with his his he yeah, was leading was with his forearm. Yeah. But wh where wh where is he supposed to put his forearm behind his back? Yeah. Do you mm. know what I mean? It just that was just poor pa ta tackle technique from Patchell, mm. and that sort of stuff. I just hoping that that doesn't cost a team in like a semi or a final for the sake of the World Cup, because they're the type of decisions that need to be looked at logically by the ref and be like Grant that is that is the rules in the rule book but was that foul play no it was not Absolutely, I don't not. think yeah. it was yeah, I feel like 50% or at least this World Cup is just me reading articles Michael Checker yeah. talking about officiating and just going absolutely apeshit but he's not the only one like I think the offside rule was really badly uh, refereed on the first weekend and it made it really hard to play against the game like, they, it affected the quality of the games really um, and I think we saw Ireland actually I think bore the brunt of some of that by some poor officiating from it looked like very harsh compared to the Japanese line speed I thought Ireland got officiated very hard in that respect versus 
that. But um, yeah, there's just been a few dodgy ones now. I was happy to see the Simone one where the knees came in. That's a personal. I, I, I hate that thing when there was. A, remember Maitland was going in the corner and the ball popped out because the Simone guy like pretty much had like diving knees into him. They, they yellow card and gave the pen try. That was a great decision, um, but I just think they've been they've had a few dodgy ones, and that one that would have been really disappointing. The Karevi one was really disappointing, um, particularly given where like because if you it don't broke have momentum, your answer, it broke momentum yeah. for the Aussies. They were starting yeah. to pick back up again. Where does he put his hand for it there? Like because even the like it, it, I think <laughs> it puts him at at uh, he's actually because you have to wrap right as as the 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 defender right. You kind of leave yourself exposed if he doesn't push you away or get something in the way, bar the ball. Like, where does your head go if you're head on, if you're going on a head on collision? Like, I think you open up head head on head collisions. But um, it's not lead. That wasn't leading with his forearm. No, his yeah. forearm was against his chest yeah. when they went into yeah. contact. So, I don't know. I think. Why do you think there has been so many kind of unusual decisions or just you know bad decisions across the tournament? Because obviously, you know, every weekend we sit here and we might pick out a couple of calls mm. that you could, but like, it seems like mm. it's been a perfect storm of just atrocious officiating on the big stage, mm. and I don't know why. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's been atrocious. I think that um, there's been a few funny ones. That one, even actually Josh Adams in the same game, uh, I think the, the Australian eight, I can't remember his name, um, the Islander guy. Nice Arani. Nice around, Jeez, that's good knowledge. Yeah, so he nice was taking the ball. Well. He was taking the ball into contact in the second half, um, and he he bumped off a guy, and he was leading fully with his head. Looked like he was almost falling over, and Josh Adams jumped in as he was getting getting bumped off, but he he, he connected with his head, which like that Nakarevi or whatever his name was was leading with his head. So what what else is he supposed to hit? Yeah. Another decision where you go. The ref just needs to look at that and go, there's nothing in it. But the problem is that he's got TMOs looking at the stuff and going through all the play with the fine tooth comb and going, oh, here's been a tiny bit, you know, a bit, a bit of contact with someone's head. I think you've got to look at it logically at times. And I don't know if, if, if some of the TMOs are doing that. Mm. You mentioned Michael Checker there. Do you have fond memories of working with him at Leinster? Well, I certainly do. I mean, I respect the guy massively. Um, he was a tough nut. Uh, he definitely toughened me up, and he um, he tried to toughen Lukey up. To to no avail. No, but he was. You know the way great he was, guy, yeah. Lukey. He was a great guy. He put he put a culture. Uh, he brought a culture into Leinster that was missing for years. Um, Leinster were probably uh, the ultimate underachievers throughout those. You know the initial professional era where we had a star-studded team that couldn't win anything. Um, and I thought uh, Cheka came in and he, he probably weeded out a lot, a lot of guys that weren't good enough um, from a mental side and a playing side. And uh, he he brought a toughness to uh, the team and squad that, you you know, we, you saw us winning that Magnus League in 2008 and then going on to win our first Heineken Cup in 2009. Uh, a tough guy, but a, but a great guy. What was and his I best bollocking? The Connacht one. Is, do you remember the Connacht one? Were you, did you play in that one where we lost? Well, he actually came out with a great one to me one time. <laughs> uh, plenty of politics. But uh, <laughs> one to me, I went into, sheepishly went into his office. Um, so I don't know if I'd, if I'd got my first cap. Maybe I'd just gotten my first cap for Leinster uh, after grinding for, for a couple of years in the academy trying to get a chance. And, um, you know, he wasn't the t- he wasn't the most approachable coach for younger guys at all. So I built up the courage to go into his office, knocked on the door, went in, and I had an exam, an important exam in college, uh, which was on like a Tuesday. So it was during one of the sessions. Bear in mind, I was still in the academy, so I wasn't even fully contracted. And uh, I go, I'll go in and ask, you know, checks if I can get it off here to do the exam. <laughs> so again, I go, um, oh hi, uh, 
you know, Michael, um, listen, <laughs> I've got an exam tomorrow afternoon. Any chance I can, it's during training, any chance I could get off to, to go do it? And he goes, mate, if you want to go work in an office, <laughs> go do your exam. <laughs> If you want to play footy, you got to fucking stay here. Mate. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, he wasn't the best for uh, accommodating guys for off-the-field interest, particularly oh, study. Yeah. I honestly, he had some absolute beauts himself. Mike Brewer as well was another guy, like really good coach, heart and sleeve guy as well. Um, but he could give a good bollocking <laughs> with the two of them like if you ever lost you know like I remember down in Connacht do you remember the match with Felipe Contepone where he kicked the ball through the post and it came back through I think it was we, we lost I think we lost that one did we or maybe it wasn't that anyway I, there was a few really it was a bad conditions anyway I just well, we always seem to be bad conditions sports ground but we lost this game anyway and we're in the um, we're in the change room and like he is cutting through us no like we did lose we lost it did we lose that one yeah, yeah I yeah. think it was this one and anyway we're <laughs> You, you, like you can hear the crowd the crowd all streams by the, the, the sports grounds changing rooms and they have these little windows and you can kind of hear the Connacht lads and they, they can hear obviously Cheka absolutely cutting us down like rinsing going through like individuals like oh mate he, like who do you think you are that kind of performance you know like on it, like, um, but like killing lads right and out of the corner he had these little windows and there was someone lift their kid up <laughs> And he popped his head through the like, through like these little gaps, just uh, like you know these tiny mm. windows in the sheds. And he goes, "Hey, hey!" Do you know like the Nelson Mandela thing, right? <laughs> and then once, whatever. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. But anyway, so this kid's going, "Hey, hey!" In the middle of it, right? <laughs> Please tell me you're not going to cut that out. <laughs> no, 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 keep it in, keep it in. And so anyway, open your current. He prayers. just he, <laughs> Nelson Mandela. <laughs> anyway. Nelson once obviously right going the ha ha for the whole riot act and honestly check it getting more and more wound up it was fucking hilarious but like the guy could read a riot act like no one else sorry about that Nelson Mandela for all your hard work right. <laughs> turning his grave getting he thinks, compared to Nelson Muntz yeah. oh god if he knew that he was getting <laughs> from Nelson Muntz yeah. oh, bit of an error there but anyway it was fucking hilarious he had a few great ones oh man he did yeah. I'll always respect the guy though yeah. one for what he did to the culture in Leinster but two because you know at the end of the day he gave me my first opportunity for Leinster which uh, <laughs> has Sorry. nothing to do with Nelson Mandela uh, but yeah I, I mean he was great for he was great for us individually and yeah, collectively class. for Leinster class. he was he was um, pretty yeah. outstanding he was you know what he was brilliant at I got trying to be hard to recover from that but uh he, uh, sorry, Mr. Mandela, Jesus Christ, 25 years in a, in a jail for that. But anyway, um, Robin yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he, uh, he was brilliant at getting the right people in, like Ferg touching it there about like kind of the quality of players and stuff. And yeah, he was brilliant, like Rocky Elsom, Easton Asia with these guys. But actually what I thought he was brilliant at was actually getting the right people in to like build a proper culture. Like Leinster, I, st I still think it's kind of paying dividends for them. Um, we're we got to move on at some stage. <laughs> I tried, but anyway, go on. Have you any? Yeah, sorry. Good people. <laughs> Good people involved with Leinster. Um, and I think like you're still paying dividends for that. Like even Shane Jennings and Leo Cullen, who were like kind of have masterminded Leinster since that kind of like particularly obviously Leo's been involved the whole way through. But Leo, like like Shane Jennings has been absolutely essential during that period for Leinster as well. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just trying to think here, looking at you, going, what sort of headline are you going to pluck out of this one? 
for God's sake. Nelson Mandela gaff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, though, with going back to the original point of the Aussies against the Welsh, um, you know, I think the Welsh took a 16-point lead in that game and the Aussies grinded back into it. I think there was a couple of things that went against. We talk about the um, a couple of refereeing decisions that they w- fell the wrong side of. But you kind of tell they didn't play their best rugby on the day. I think the Aussies will also... Both of those teams will get to the quarters and whoever's going to face them in the quarters, it's yeah. going to be a very tough game. Tricky. Interesting that in three games we've seen, you know, Wales, Australia, France, Argentina and Ireland, Japan, to maybe a slightly lesser extent, but we've seen three Northern Hemisphere teams with big leads all get pegged back. Now I know France and Wales ultimately held on, but is, is, do you think that's a, kind of a trend in terms of the humidity and maybe Northern Hemisphere teams not being able to deal with it? Like, will we see that, do you think, further on in the competition? It's a good point. I hadn't thought about it. Um, yeah, like, I mean, you think Argentina with the Jaguars, like, they're playing a faster brand of rugby down there. Um, generally, I think, you know, probably better conditions as well. Jeez, <laughs> uh, we're never going to get over that. And anyway, um, yeah, like, there could be something. There could be something in that because, like, even the, the, the Japanese team, they look very strong. Obviously, they'd be used to conditions, but the, the brand of rugby is a little bit quicker. And, yeah, like, it, it could have a big impact. Um, like, if you look at it, and as you said, the, the, there's four games there with a fairly stark you know, difference in, in the last 20 minutes. I don't think it's a fitness thing. I wonder, could it be possibly that they're still kind of catching up in terms of pre-season? Because remember, these guys, we haven't played, the North Hampshire teams haven't played like a high-quality game of rugby really bad. Like some of them were, were decent quality, but there were still pre-season games. So you think, you know, the pace against a top-quality outfit who are at this stage fairly seasoned, they're through, a, you know, a super rugby kind of competition and they're also through the, the, a few games in the rugby championship. They could be in better condition to play these kind of big games at a faster pace. I think pace. the French are always a little bit more unfit, so I don't. I think you can kind of take them out of the equation mm. of that argument. I think that the Welsh against the Australians, they just had such a lead, like a sixteen-point lead. It's hard not to sit back there and not play as much rugby. And yeah. I think Alan Wynne Jones said that in his post-match interview. He said we probably sat back on our lead once we went sixteen points ahead, and you don't want to do that against the Aussies. And um, they started creating more space right. and once they brought Tamu, uh, Matt Tamua on who started taking on the line a lot more he, he brought the ball flat to the line I thought he made a, a, yeah. a difference immediately in mm. comparison to uh, Bernard Foley so um, mm. and the Irish game was only there was only a three point difference so I don't know if you could you know I just think but the, I know we're 12-3 up after 20 minutes and looked like they were going well and they did look to tire quite quickly Like so I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate because it was something I thought about before the tournament but didn't really want to bring up because I thought it sounded really kind of basic and stupid that the humidity for teams who aren't really used to that kind of hot weather could be big yeah would it be as humid in Australia as it is in Japan though I've no idea I don't <laughs> think so have to think the just heat hotter anyway yeah, the, the heat, heat, yeah. heat but humidity like, is different it's different you yeah, just don't it you know it's one thing being hot but if you don't have as much oxygen going into your lungs it's, 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 yeah. I think that that you could see that in the Irish game for sure. You know, the, the, the Japanese just, they kept coming for 80 minutes and Ireland did look to tire. So, mm. um, it's I'll, a real interesting one. Like, it'll be, it'll be, we'll have to watch, like, I'd say everyone will be watching it fairly closely after the, the weekend's action. And this game in Russia is, not, is in that stadium. They played the Scotland Samoa game with the roof closed. The roof has it's to be meant, closed. It's meant to be insane. Yeah, like in terms yeah. of the heat in there, like it's like a yeah. sauna. So, well, you wonder, like, you know, will it be good for them? Like, I know it, like, it's still like whatever, four or five weeks, but like, you'd have to think you'd acclimatise to a certain extent and get used to some of the heat on that, you know. So uh, maybe it'll be good for us to play these games because you'd expect us still to be Russian and you'd expect 
also, um, you know, in terms of their climate, that this would be a big change for them too. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they struggled with it as well. Mm. And we, you'd expect us to be fitter based on, you know, all the facilities, um, you know, basically, you know, better, better quality training, I would have thought, than the Russian team. So mm. I, would, I would expect us to, to have an edge there, I think, in that respect. So maybe we can push it home and kick on and get maybe a bit more used to the conditions for Samoa and hopefully quarterfinal. Yeah, you'd hope we'll we'll acclimatise throughout, throughout the com- yeah. competition, and that and you, you hope that that was our blip in terms yeah. of um, dealing with the mu- humidity. Mm. And just before we finish up, uh, win for Leinster first weekend of the season. Still waiting for your seasonal bow, maybe this this weekend against the Ospreys. But good win for Leinster. Dave Carney on the wing scoring a hat trick. I'm sure you were delighted. Yeah, well, just as well he's a left winger. <laughs> I'm kind of more right. <laughs> um, you obviously didn't do your research, but uh, Adam Adam Byrne also played great on the right wing. Mm. So. Um, I said, sure. I said last week. I said that there's great strength and depth on the wings, so mm. and in most positions. So any guys that get the opportunities are going to have to take them with both hands. So if I get mine this week, um, yeah, I have to get four tries, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, what are those away trips like when you're going to like Italy or South Africa, like at this early stage of the season? Are they good for team bonding? I know because how do you feel about them? Yeah, um, not. I wouldn't say they're. Great, like, you wouldn't look at it and go, that's going to be good for team bonding uh, because guys are very, very much focused on the game. There's not really much laughing or joking around the place. Um, the, the one to Italy can be a long trip because you get over there and it's obviously a longer flight. Um, I tell you what, it can be twice as long, though, if you lose. And it's not an easy place to go because, like, a lot of people that don't follow the Pro 14 probably look at that game and went, ah, they're, you know, Travis are missing 13 players. Leinster, I think we're missing 16, 15, 16, but yeah. Teresa missing 13, now they won't be any good. They've got um, an extremely good coach and they've got a lot of good foreigners and a good squad there. So that was always going to be a tough fixture and I thought we did well to come out on top in first competitive match. So hopefully we can bring that form into our first home game against the Ospreys. And you were, you, you had mentioned uh, young uh, Harry Byrne, um, Ross's younger brother, Harry, is it? Uh, he he came on was a first cap. I mean that was mm. very positive as well. Like I mean, in as Ferg said, like that would have been difficult enough conditions. Lots of guys probably with their you play again a few preseason friendlies, but very hard in a, in your first competitive fixture. And it's a tough pitch. It's kind of like a it's it's a <laughs> I know soddy it's, pitch. It's really <laughs> soddy. No, it is seriously. It's really heavy on the legs there. It's weird. It's almost like a weird kind of clay kind of feel. It's weird. Um, I always find it really heavy going on that pitch. You always think going away to like Italy are going to be on a hard track, but it doesn't really work out like that. So. Um, that'll be good a lot of guys it's good to see Dave Carney in, in some good form as well mm. like he's a guy who um, has had maybe a difficult last couple of years I know he finished the, the second half of the season very well but um, no, he's a quality operator so good to see him go well and um, as I said a lot of young guys in that pack um, so hopefully they'll, they'll kick on and are you seeing the burn versus burnout half battle in training on a daily basis the two brothers um, hopefully we're hoping for this kind of sex and O'Gara rivalry to develop you know over the next few years as two brothers yeah who knows um I mean, you know, Ross has been amazing for Leinster for a good few seasons now, and you know Harry's a very exciting prospect. So, um, I've you know it was great to see him get his first cap last weekend, and I've I've no doubt the opportunity to, he'll get he'll kick on. Mm. So just before we wrap up, lads, I know it's Russia and we're expected to win easily, but you know what are you expecting to see from the game? Well, I'm expecting to see a few people who might have put be able to put their hand up for selection. Um, you know, I think. Uh, there will be a few opportunities off the back, and particularly around the bench. I think there could be a few chances. Um, I'd like to see Joey Carberry, um, you know, get on, get some good time, um, and uh, and play well, uh, because he's a, he's a guy I think who will be important to Ireland going forward. Like we need him to have some time on the pitch, um, so I'd like to see him 
uh, perform well. Uh, Luke McGrath as well. Like we need a, a viable alternative for Conor Murray, who plays. You know, uh, not Joey Carberry. Uh, very well. He mm-hmm. plays very, very physically. You know, so I'd like to see him play well as well because it's important to have you know viable alternatives in fairly key positions. And then I'd like to see. Like I think Dave Kilcoyne has had a brilliant run up to this campaign. I thought he was brilliant. Like every tackle he made on the weekend, like he was f- absolutely smashing guys and really willing with the ball. So having himself and Keane Healy there, like that's a real strength for the team. Um, so I'd like to see him have a big game because he's put in a huge amount of work and has been very good for once or the last the last little period. So um, lots of guys to, to put their hands up. It'd be interesting to see John Klein making the, the bow after a lot of controversy as well. Um, look, he's out there now, so you would like to see him go well. Um, and he could contribute going further in the, in, in the competition. Um, you, you'd hope as well a few guys had survived the thing. Like Gary Ringrose now has become very, very important and he has to play again three in a row. You always hear this, the strength and conditioning guys saying, like, it's the third one of a big camp. Like, when you're, they're all big games, it's the third big training week. There's lots of risk involved in terms of kind of soft tissue injuries and stuff. So you just hope they manage him very well and he comes through the thing unscathed because... He looks like he's absolutely key. So, look, lots of stuff to watch. We're hoping that they have a cohesive performance, like less errors. You know, again, correct a few of the areas we talked about, the kicking, the defensive stuff I thought was something that I think, you know, put down a marker this week in the heat and difficult conditions, show that we've become acclimatised and we're going to have, you know, we're going to be a real force to contend with in terms of that aspect of the game going forward because they were passive on the weekend and they're passive in the Six Nations in the big games defensively. That's a key thing for this team. If they can get off the line, put pressure on teams, I think it feeds into a lot of the rest of their game. I don't know, is that... That everything? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll yeah I, I think from this Russia game, we'll just be looking for a convincing team performance in attack and defence so we can just try and forget about that Japanese loss as quick as possible. Well, hopefully we're sitting here next week after a more positive performance. Thanks, Luke and Fergus, for joining me this week. And that's all we have time for on the left wing in association with Ali. We'll be back next week reviewing all the action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. You know, I was so tense. I kept on looking at my watch. What would the referee blow the whistle? It comes to Stransky. Off goes the kick. When he eventually blew the whistle, we just found Louis Lute and myself embracing. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend 30 euro in store for a chance to win 50,000 euro for your primary school.